Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. Fluorocarbons are here to stay by Donald E. Westlake. This is first published in the original Science Fiction Stories, Volume Eight, Number Five, March 1958. It's a uh, story that no attention has really been given to, but I need to read everything by Donald Westlake because I just love his writing, and uh, this was one I hadn't read. And so I read it, and I thought, Donald Westlake, you are a weird guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Of the title, I will tell you this. Uh, Fluorocarbons are a real thing, and they were... Um, coming into their own uh, in 1958. Um, and uh, the phenomena that he describes within this story is not wholly true of, like, everything he describes about it is not wholly true of fluorocarbons, but it's mostly true. Um, and so uh, hijinks shall ensue. <laughs> <laughs> Would you care to read it to us? Mostly true. Yes. Mostly true. Interesting concept, my friend. Yes. Sure. Fluorocarbons are here to stay. Lewiston, Massachusetts. Population 6,023. Census of 1960. Main industry, the production of floral plastics. Founded 1798 by Emanuel Lewis, American farmer of English stock. Opportunities for new businesses, especially in the service trades. Main tourist attraction, City Hall, constructed in 1958. Completely of floral plastics as advertisement of town's main industry. From Guide to American Cities, 1963, Wolken, Emmerich, and Company, New York, 1963. The City Council of Lewiston decided after long deliberation to build a new city hall. The present one, while drawing tourists, was also drawing trouble. There were constant traffic drams in front of the building. Broken pen knives littered the lawn, left behind by souvenir hunters who had made unsuccessful attempts at chipping off a piece of wall. Besides, the conservative element of the town was loudly in opposition to the city's fathers meeting in a three-story publicity stunt. Replacing a city hall isn't normally too impossibly difficult a task. All it involves is the contracting of an architect who listens to everything you want and then goes ahead and does what he wants, the opening of bids for the construction of the new city hall, with Cousin Jamie assured of the job, of course, but that isn't admitted publicly, and the tearing down of the old city hall to make way for the new one. Tear down the old city hall. In the words of the bard, there's the rub, and quite a rub it is. Perhaps you haven't heard of the new floral plastics. They are compounded of fluorocarbons, a combination of fluorine and carbon. The process involved is a simple, if puzzling, one. A hydrogen-fluorine compound is placed in a vat with a hydrocarbon. A few volts of electricity are sent through the vat, and what's left is fluorocarbon and free hydrogen. To date, no one's been able to explain the whys and wherefores. The only thing sure is that it happens. In the early 50s, non-burnable paints were made of these fluorocarbons, among other things, and experimentation was begun on a plastic made of the substance. The result, floral plastic. 
Fluoroplastic is indestructible in the only sense of the word. It won't burn, won't crumble, won't decay, won't be broken into fragments, and will not leave the original shape it was molded in. No matter what is done to it, it is, in the language of the wondering scientists, completely stable. The city hall in question was constructed entirely of this plastic. The outside walls were gleaming white outdoor floral plastic impervious to the elements. The inside walls were plastics of quieter colors but no less resistant. The floors and ceilings were formed by sturdy lengths of floral plastic painted with floral paint to look like wood. The roof of the building, the foundation, all were floral. Even the seams of the building were sealed by a floral cement. This, then, is the building the city council planned so nonchalantly to tear down. A wrecking crew, the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company, was called in and put to work. The first weapon they brought to bear was a heavy iron ball attached by a cable to a derrick with which the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company demolished walls. The first time they swung this outsized eight ball at one of the walls of the city hall, there was a terrible noise. The ball came ricocheting back from the unmarred wall and crunched into the arm of the derrick, doing to it what had been hitherto done only to walls. When the foreman of the crew found out, as he did shortly, he fired the operator for negligence, reported the damage to the office, and led his men indoors for some hand-to-hand demolition. The office sent somebody out to remove the dilapidated derrick and to replace it with a fresh contender, but the foreman and his men just didn't have any success at all with the city hall. Not that they didn't try hard enough. They stomped into the place, up the three flights of the wide ebony floral plastic stairs to the top floor, and attacked a wall. It was the first wall in their experience that had ever defended itself. One of the men raised a heavy axe above his head and crashed the edge of it into the wall. Before he knew what was going on, the axe was going back the way it had come, was bringing him with it and driving him all the way across the hall until the axe hit the opposite wall and bounded off to one side. Then the man hit the wall and bounded off to the other side. Somebody else slammed the wall at the same time with a sledgehammer. Before he could take it up with a union, the hammer had rebounded, sped through his spread legs, and had jackknifed him down and through after it. It was the same thing everywhere. Axes and hammers of all kinds were bouncing off the walls as though someone were trying to break a steel girder with a tennis ball. After about an hour of unrewarding effort, the walls didn't have a mark on them. They were still there. And that was something which had never happened in the entire 206-year history of the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company. The company was irked, and rightfully so. Their men, their most experienced hands, were threatening angrily to quit, and their reputation was flying away on the wings of mercury, or fluorine, rather. So they went before the city council, which was holding its sessions in the one local theater, the Paramount, and asked just what the city fathers meant to do about this. The city's fathers hadn't the slightest idea and said so. They pointed out to the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company that it was their job to tear buildings down and not in the sphere of business of the city council. They also suggested that the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company get to work pretty damn fast and get that building down because they had already engaged the contractor to begin building the new city hall on the same site come June, which was only two months away. 
The representatives of the company left the Paramount Theater, figuratively tearing their hair, but more determined than ever that the City Hall, indestructible or not, was going to be torn down if it took every man and every penny the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company could scrape together to do it. There's such a thing as honor, you know. Experts were called in, and they muddled around for a while, looking at the walls of the city hall through magnifying glasses, inspecting samples of floral plastics under microscopes, and muttering through their Van Dykes. They finally decided that there wasn't a way in the world to tear that building down. They said as much, pocketed their pay, and left. The Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company obstinately refused to take their experts' word for it. In their long experience with knocking things apart, not once had they come across anything that couldn't be knocked. And this blasted city hall wasn't going to be the exception. Not while the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company was out of the hands of the receivers was this going to be an exception. They bought some army surplus flamethrowers, hired more men and went to work spurting flame all over everything. The walls stood there and ignored the whole thing. For three solid days and nights, working their men in eight-hour shifts, the clock around, they sprayed the walls with consuming flame, but the flame, unfortunately, didn't consume a thing. It hadn't, by the end of these three days, scorched the walls. It hadn't done a thing to the walls. As far as the walls were concerned, the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company might have been throwing feathers at them instead of flame. The company gave up and sold the flamethrowers to somebody for about a third of what they'd paid for them. Then they sat back, took a deep breath, and looked at those walls with hate in their eyes. By this time, the affair had hit the wire services, and the whole world was watching the process, hands cupped politely over mouths. This one was a scream. An independent motion picture producer tried to get permission to make a documentary movie based on the struggle, using it symbolically. Man against the machines he has created. A national beer company tried to get the next onslaught put on coast-to-coast television with said beer company sponsoring, naturally. Both the city council and the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company turned all such offers down vituperously and often. They were beginning to feel like peacocks with their tail feathers clipped. Next, they tried acid. They took the most destructive acids they knew, and a few acids that nobody was sure about yet, and sprayed the walls, drenched the walls, covered the walls with reeking layers of these things. They tried the acids, one after the other, and later in combination. The walls just stood there and shrugged the whole thing off. They didn't even shrug, really. They just stayed stolidly silent and indestructible. It was enough to give a man an inferiority complex, a persecution mania, and high blood pressure. That's the effect violence had on the city hall of Lewiston, Massachusetts. No effect at all. The wrecking company was in such a reasonless rage that it went to the extent of suggesting an atomic bomb. (laughs) But the city fathers clamped down on that idea for the double reason that the resultant radioactivity from an atomic blast would make the whole town uninhabitable for some time, and it probably wouldn't do any good anyway. 
When the representative of the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company was told this in no uncertain terms, he became thoroughly incensed. All right, he agreed, no atomic bomb, but how about an ordinary bomb? How about a few sticks of dynamite placed here and there in the building? We'd clear everyone in a three-block radius of the building out of the way for a while and just let her rip. If that doesn't do it, nothing will, and I suggest that you gentlemen might just as well go back to your old city hall and forget about a new one. So said the representative of the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company. The city council thought about it for a while and finally decided it couldn't do any harm. It would have the advantage of getting the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company out of everyone's hair. So they said, all right, go ahead and do it. It took eight days to gather the paraphernalia and get ready for the last decisive siege. Workmen carrying boxes of dynamite trudged endlessly into the city hall and returned empty-handed for more. The Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company had affixed its good name to a document guaranteeing reparation for any and all damage done to any property other than the city hall proper. Everyone in a three-block radius was moved to a safe distance. The wreckers were ready to try the last desperate attempt to destroy the Lewiston City Hall. Reporters, photographers, newsreel cameramen, and tourists crammed the town, pouring huge sums of money into the local coffers and cash registers. The town was very happy about the whole thing, and the tourists and the newsmen were happy too. The only ones who weren't happy were the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company and the City Council of Lewiston, Massachusetts. Probably the happiest people of all were the owners of Peabody's Plastic Products maker of the floral plastic which formed the city hall. While other manufacturers had to talk about laboratory tests in their advertising, Peabody's plastic products had simply to point with pride to the resplendently white Lewiston City Hall, standing serene and unscarred after weeks of the most harrowing treatment, treatment that would have reduced any other building to rubble in hours. Peabody's plastic products looked upon the proposed demolition with nonchalance and confidence. They even had a man with a small movie camera recording the occurrence for future television commercials. At precisely noon on the fatal day, the president of the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company, a man named Smith, personally pushed the plunger that set off all the dynamite inside the building. To get an idea of what happened then, Consider the jet plane. A force is created in the bowels of the plane, a force that is constricted on all sides but one by sturdy walls of metal. Only to the rear is there a clear course. Oddly enough, force prefers the easiest road, and so it streams roaringly out the tail of the jet plane, pushing it forward. Something along the same lines happened within the city hall of Lewiston, Massachusetts. A tremendous amount of force was suddenly born within those indestructible walls and found itself restricted almost everywhere by floral plastic. Only through the windows, whose glass had been long since smashed by frustrated wreckers, could the force find an exit from the place of its birth and a portal to the great world outdoors. All the force of the explosion then went swooshing out the windows and all the frame houses around the city hall fell over on their sides with a despairing crump. Brick or stone houses flew apart and took off in 30 directions all at once. Within a radius of about a block and a half, the skyline was suddenly lowered to basement level. 
Not that the rest of the town was spared. Walls suddenly folded inward. Doors were torn off their hinges all over the city. People were picked up and carried a few blocks by the blast. And cameras flew everywhere. A survey taken later that day showed that only two windows remained intact in Lewiston. And one of these was subsequently shattered by a small boy who was beginning to develop complexes from seeing that one intact pane of glass surrounded by only the jagged reminders of panes of glass. The other one was broken a week later by a workman who was putting a pane of glass in an adjoining window when he fell off his ladder. Of course, the explosion cost the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company every cent it could convert its equipment into and more besides. But the city hall still stood unscathed, untouched, undamaged, and untroubled by the blast that had emanated from itself to flatten the surrounding territory pretty thoroughly and put the Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company into receivership, an unusual example of man bites dog. The last threat to the life of the City Hall of Lewiston, Massachusetts, had been foiled. The City Council, in order to pay for the wasted architect's fees and the other miscellaneous expenses of the proposed but never-to-be-completed new City Hall, blocked off the street in which the City Hall stood alone and untarnished, turned the waste land into a parking lot, and charged tourists 25 cents each to drive in, park, and look at the indestructible building. For another quarter, the tourist could go inside the city hall, wander around looking at the walls and so forth, and get absolutely free a tiny block of floral plastic for a souvenir. Because of the publicity, the tourist trade doubled within the next few months, and practically every tourist wanted the whole works. In time, this became the city's principal source of income, and taxes were lowered 0.301%, which effectively quieted the conservative element. Later on, another gimmick was thought of. For an additional 50 cents, the tourist could bring his little hunk of floral plastic into the mayor's office. He would autograph it for the tourist personally, with the tourist's own name on it, and a little greeting from the mayor. This went over so big that within three years, the city built debt-free a mammoth football stadium just for the fun of having a mammoth football stadium. And every Saturday during football season, the local high school played somebody called the Visitors in the mammoth football stadium that held five times as many people as there were in the whole town of Lewiston. Everyone sat in the abominably hard floral plastic stands and got a tremendous kick out of it. Oh, yes. The Mammoth Football Stadium was made of floral plastic. It was indestructible, too. <laughs> All right. I, I have um, I come to a revelation that I can't believe I didn't see uh, <laughs> while you were reading this. And I'm like, oh, my God. I finally figured out why this story is so weird. Um, <laughs> maybe it was obvious to you. But... Um, <laughs> It, it's it's something that uh, Westlake has as a hobby horse, and that is, you can't beat City Hall. <laughs> and that That's literally cool. is the point of the story, right? <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things that um, Westlake's humor is all over this. One of the things that you can tell um, he's making fun of is the conservative element is quelled by a reduction of taxes of point zero three one percent which is like <laughs> virtually nothing 
Um, but they are mass. They have a massive uh, increase of tourism, right? And what does City Hall do after it literally destroys a de- demolition company? <laughs> they City Hall, uh, not the building, but the people who represent what it's for, uh, decide to make the same mistake exactly again and build a monstrosity of a football stadium out of the same indestructible material. It's his his commentary is um that government is here to stay <laughs> that um the obdurate uh, stubborn stupidity of of government is here to stay and we can't get rid of it and the only thing to do is laugh there's incompetence and graft all over this story but it's done not in a you know cynicism but in a folksy uh humor I think that's just really hilarious. It's such a weird story. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you. Um, it is anti-conservative. It's also anti-capitalist. Um, but I think that, uh, that there's more than that here, too. Um, there is not only the city hall remain, but... There's not a word about the fact that in the effort to glorify themselves by making a newer city hall, they have destroyed much of Lewiston, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. As all those surrounding buildings are gone, every single window turned into two parking, in the entire parking lot ex- for the exactly tourists. with not a word about what's what, uh, what about the actual residents. At the end, what is it that they decide to do with all this wonderful money? They make another spectacle, mm-hmm. right? It, it is for the sake of spectacle. So the thing that's indestructible is the thing that offers us a, a view that we are willing to pay for because, in fact, people are destructible. And they are more destructible, it seems, if they have honor. The Smith Wrecking and Salvage Company fails to wreck and therefore cannot salvage. They go bankrupt. And People lose their houses. The company has been in business, we're told, for 206 years. And since this story is set in 1963, like five years after this publication, um, we can do the math. And that means it precedes the creation of the United States as an actual country, right? It, right. They, it, 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 it has been contracted to do a thing it normally does. But government is so <laughs> ensconced that even if you have its cooperation, it will just destroy you. He is being very, very cheeky, and I didn't, I didn't, I thought it was like I spent. I you can't imagine how much time I spent looking at floral carbons and the science behind it, because I thought I thought that that was like why, why haven't I heard of this stuff? So everything he says about floral carbons being you know uh, quite hard and. Um, malleable and uh, flame-proof. All of these things are true. Um, he doesn't go into the cost of how much it costs to make fluorocarbons, so I can't say that it... Uh, I can't explain why we haven't got buildings literally made out of plastic every, everywhere. But what I well, can I- say is I can see why he's talking about it, because it's... Uh, he naturally does the thing. When the science comes up, he says, what are we going to do with this? Oh, government will find a way to screw around with it. 
Well, the, the thing is that the, the hard science here is wrong. It is. He, I mean, it, it, it's, the, no, there would I mean, be some I mean, way of it, taking down a floral carbon building. Well, the, fa- the fact is that if you can mold this stuff, it means that it becomes liquid at a certain temperature. Right. Yes. So, it, right. So that's first of all. Second of all, if it really is impervious, as many plastics are, um, try writing on those plastics with your Sharpie. Not going to happen. For something to be truly impervious, as we're told this is, you couldn't be painting it with wood-colored paint. Right. If this is a building. How do you attach the windows? Even if you've cast it initially with a window hole, how do you attach the window frame into that window? By pressure alone? He you says know, floral frame. floral cement, right? So everything is every the casements, the uh, the and and how did they cut a hole in the wall for the electrification of the town hall? How did they cut? Yeah, it's right? I mean, it's right? not a true it's, story, <laughs> it, it, right? It, it, it in fact it's it's patently impossible for it to be true you couldn't have a building like this so we're reading this as a parable yes and as you say the parable begins at least with the notion you can't beat city hall and i think it goes further by telling us you can't beat city hall because they fundamentally don't care about what's going on they only care about their own money and their own power um, display yeah and the word display i think is really significant here the the guys from Smith, Ricking, and Salvage Company um, felt like um, peacocks with their tail feathers clipped. Right. Right? As the thing that would make them look good to the world was gone. But the company that makes money out of this and is really happy about it is called Peabody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even after the tail, clivers, the fa- the tail feathers are clipped – the peacock's body is still there. Right? That's what's going on. This company is indestructible. This company has no honor. There is, in fact, a critique, not simply of conservatism. There's a critique of materialism. And if all we want, if we can be dissuaded from anything honorable and made not to worry about the lives of those people who just lost their houses— um, simply because there's an interesting spectacle, we're back to the Roman Empire. It is bread and circuses. The story opens with a guidebook um, uh, epigraph that says what the main industries are and what it is that one can do. What are the what are the economic opportunities? Right. Once upon a time, when the town was founded in the 18th century. It was farming. Now it's concocting science in a way to entertain the masses. I think it's really a critique in part of our whole society. And we're going to be up to our wazoos in (laughs) fluorocarbons. The fact that this thing was written in the 50s and today we're trying to figure out how to ban single-use plastic straws. This is, I think, an amazingly prescient story as well as being delightful. Yeah, it's pretty funny, too. Um, uh, this, the way it's uh, told, I said it was folksy, uh, but it really it's Donald Westlakeisms. I That's what I think of them as. <laughs> um, 
and there's a, a whole lot of them. This is the the probably the best passage. This is on the same page as the illustration, page 93. Um, replacing a city hall isn't normally too impossibly difficult a task. All it involves is the contracting of an architect who listens to everything you want and then goes ahead and does what he wants. <laughs> so, a little right. cynicism there, right? The opening bids for the construction of the new city hall, with Cousin Jamie assured of the job, of course, but that isn't admitted publicly, and the tearing down of the old city hall to make way for the new one. So the, the minor problem of, uh, of tearing down the old city hall is the stumbling block here. So government has plans to uh, knock down City Hall. What's the purpose? Because there's pen knives all littering the front yard? I don't think so. I think the reason is Jamie, Cousin Jamie needs the contract. And this is the <laughs> way government uh, is corruption works. You get into government, you, your family gets the business, and oh, overrun. It's going to cost the taxpayers. Darn it. And then yeah. what, is the, what does the architect do? Architects uh, is given the task and then says, oh, yes, yes, we're definitely going to do that. What do, the, what do the consultants do when the consultants come? <laughs> they examine everything with magnifying glasses, muttering through their Van Dykes, take the money and say there's no way for you to take this thing apart. They're right, <laughs> but they all wear Van Dykes. That's yep. ridiculous Westlakeisms that really uh, kind of distract you from the the very pointed um, satire that this is. It 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 is a very pointed satire, but you're just enjoying the ride. I think that that's that's why I like Westlake. Is I'm always surprised by what he's doing. He's he's good. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it, it gives me faith. Um, as you certainly know, having read something about his biography, as I have, um, he started writing as a teenager. Mm -hmm. He wanted to write. He wanted to write. And his first 200 submissions were rejected. Crazy. But ultimately, he was awarded the Grand Master uh, from the Mystery Writers of America. Mm -hmm. He also worked in other genres, um, including science fiction and mm -hmm. so on. But amazing that he, he really gives a beautiful example of the notion that persistence will eventually win. But I can't help wonder, given how early this story is in his career— I mean, it's almost at the very beginning of his publishing career. Mm -hmm. um, if maybe those walls are made out of rejection slips. Oh, 100%. He, he has a famous essay um, in a magazine called Zero, uh, with an X, um, which he basically explains why he's quitting science fiction. And it is because he's an incredibly capable writer, and he knows it. And science fiction just will not pay him. <laughs> you know, they're rejecting him and telling him that this is not what we want. Um, he eventually finds his spot. And it isn't necessarily like mystery fiction, because that's not what he's known for. But he definitely cut out a swath in crime fiction and Donald Westlake fiction, which is really right. what it is. 
Oh, I agree. What I, what I meant was um, he City Hall represents in some underlying, perhaps unconscious psychological way to Westlake. As you say, you can't beat City Hall. Maybe he can't get his stories accepted. That's right. But then he can write a story about not getting his stories accepted and that story will get accepted. Mm -hmm. It's his way of getting back at the indestructible big powers around him. He finds his way through. Absolutely. It, it, it took him some time. He learned his lesson. <laughs> his company was destroyed. But he found his way through. And the, uh, the way through is with good humor and uh, a real understanding of, you know, all the corruption and ridiculousness that is humanity. For whom... For, for him, of course, that is the fodder. Right? There's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.